I'm Joe. And I'm Reed. And this is Double Shot, the digital journal of two young professionals navigating growth in work and life. Okay, on this episode, the main topic is around the idea of whether you should or should not follow your passion in your career. As always, you'll hear about the latest with Joe's fitness endeavors as it relates to his competition, some running updates in my own world, and of course, a few tangents along the way. So we hope you enjoy the episode. So Joe, what is going on in your world? Um, heading to Austin tomorrow in the middle of this winter storm. So hope fingers hoping, crossed you're headed to Austin. Hoping tomorrow. that we get off the tarmac at the airport. I think the worst of it's supposed to be over today. So I really am not that stressed out about it. It's a direct flight. It's sixty in Austin. Mm-hmm. I don't know. As if need as, be, just go hang out in that new Sky Lounge for a little. Yeah, bit. exactly. I mean, to kick it in the Sky Lounge. Worst things could happen. Hashtag first world problems. <laughs> to the max. To the max. Um, oh, I just, I already hate us and we're minutes into this. I, I'm, I'm very excited for the trip though. I haven't been to Austin. I'm excited to do a, a CrossFit competition and see how I enjoy it. Um, that's like big, you know, like thousands of people, mm-hmm. all these different divisions and masters and age groups. And Have you been in any environment like that before? I haven't been. Not even as a spectator. That's wild. Uh, you know, of course, like major league sporting events but that's like yeah totally but different. not not where people are competing and not definitely not crossfit like the closest i've been to that is watching fittest on earth the documentary yeah right 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 so actually being like the real environment of competition a real environment of competition with a couple thousand people like all milling about and doing their thing yeah it should be cool that's so awesome I'm looking forward to that and i'm looking forward to partying afterwards yeah i'm i'll be very curious what the week after looks like for yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm pretty much going to let myself not train. Yeah. Just like, depending on how I feel. If I'm like smoked, then yeah, whole week. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling like, bah, be okay, I'll probably get back into training when I get home. Yeah. Wednesday, so. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm pumped. What about you? What's in your world? Uh, main thing is just got back from Park City. Yeah. From the Sundance Film Festival. Gosh, we are pretentious today. <laughs> <laughs> just the word Sundance, even though you weren't like, there for context, I was, I was for there work. for work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was at a sub-event of the Sundance Film Festival called Brand Storytelling. The same way that Sundance is film premieres, Brand Storytelling has a lot of brand-funded film premieres. But all that to say, I was at Sundance. And I, is I Park say, City as cool as it looks? It is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Eight feet of snow everywhere. Like you're Eight walking feet? just like surrounded because like snow plows have gone through and all this stuff. Right. But it's truly like to your head That's as amazing. you're walking around beautiful city so easy to get to from the airport whole experience was a delight flights went off without a hitch there and back airbnb was amazing everything right would you fly i'm a delta guy yeah this is why your flights went off without a hitch i will not (laughs) i I, there are probably exceptions to this but i'm gonna tell you right now i will not fly anything else i very rarely fly other things i will not touch frontier or spirit or ryan with a 10-foot pole i'm sorry i know that it's really helpful for a lot of people i will not do it um i have southwest tomorrow and i'm nervous that's like as far as that would go and i (laughs) (laughs) it's so bad but yeah um so always delta but it was amazing i did take the opportunity while i was there i was there for work but i did go to a an actual Sundance film premiere, yeah, which was a really cool experience. Um, 
And thankfully, it was it was a weird time because normally my events started at 10, 11 a.m. And this film premiere was at 8 a.m. on the Wednesday, I mm. think, or the Thursday. Um, and so getting to experience an actual Sundance premiere was cool. Uh, that environment's awesome. And then, yeah, just enjoyed Park City. The event was great. Got some really interesting connections for work. So uh, I'd say it was an all-around win. And a place I could 100% see myself going back to. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a cool spot from what I hear. I've not been out there, but it looks magical. I've never been, but I, you know, I, my normal mountain context is Colorado, mm-hmm. Denver, Winter Park, that kind of sure. area. And the fact that it takes a third of the time to get where you're going when you fly into Salt Lake City, the mountains are as beautiful. Same mountain range. Same mountain range. The town is actually more than like your small towns in Colorado that are mm-hmm. kind of tucked in the mountains. Like Park City is a real town with restaurants and all these things. It's not like a dollar store and a sure. one restaurant. It's just everything you could want. Like it was truly awesome. Yeah. So bravo Park City. I'm a fan. I'm sold. I love it. Is there any content you've been taking in lately that you're, or or like things you've been using lately that are particularly helpful or? Yeah, interestingly enough, I mean, part of the content I have to talk about is all the stuff there, right? Um, Brand, the point of this is, so brand storytelling was this event. And the idea is all of these leading brands, a lot of the big names that you've heard of, Yeti, Cannondale and Specialized, Unicef, Fiverr, GoDaddy, all these companies, Roku, they're all investing in really entertainment but it's a way to like spread their brand message but one thing that was amazing is like you would go and watch and all these films were like really good i had some feedback on some had some thoughts whatever but they were just really enjoyable like entertainment that just so happened to be funded by a brand and it was tied to their purpose and all these things but just seeing what that group of people is doing and knowing that the b2b space that we operate in for work is generally a bit behind the ball seeing the opportunity of where we could take things as marketers. And this is, again, getting a little bit too markety, but all of that content was amazing. Um, outside of the context of of that event, I haven't really consumed anything that new recently, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, I'm sort of off-ramping from that experience, and I, you know, I have some books that we've talked about that I need to get back into reading. Um, but yeah, nothing too crazy. What about you? Um, the thing I've been using lately that's been cool is I started using this thing called a full focus planner. Yeah, yeah. You told me that you were getting that. One of my buddies turned me on to it, um, and it is delightful. Really? Yeah, it's really nice. Um, I just get a lot of like the in-between time between meetings can sometimes feel like absolutely nothing gets done because it's like I had this window where I right, get off a call. 15 to 30 minutes to 45 minutes, depending on the thing. And I have to spend time figuring out, all right, what am I doing again? Oh yeah, I'm doing this. And then I got to like find the thing. I got to start the thing. So like nothing gets done. So then I feel like I get through my whole day and nothing actually gets accomplished outside of meetings, which is frustrating. And then I kind of forget things. I feel like it's like going in one ear, not the other. And I don't, I'm not organized and structured at all. And so this has just given me like a way to not have that be the case. And I can review it at the end of the day and be like, so the way it's structured is like if your big three, like what three things need to get done today? Other to-dos that you have on your list. So you prioritize these and then can get to these. You can like block your days off in different like patterns on your on your sheet and then some no- spot for notes. 
that's what I do at the end of the day is I like take my notes that should be to-dos, put them on the next day. I take my to-dos that didn't get done and I put them on the next day. And then I feel like when I close my book and I like leave the office or turn off my computer or whatever, I'm like set up and I'm not wondering, like, oh, do I need to check something? Am I waiting on something? Is there something that I didn't do that I was supposed to do? There's sort of this like... How granular do you get? Is it truly all the one-off tasks that you need to manage? Yeah. Really? I put all of it in there. It's almost like a mini EOS for you it's as like a human. It's like a mini EOS for me as a human. And it's lovely. I've been using it for the last like week and it is truly great. Something that you will likely continue? Yeah, the way they do it, they're very smart. They uh, they build it on a subscription package. Of course. So you can buy it standalone, but it's a quarterly book. So it's, you know, a day a quarter. Or, sorry, every book is a full quarter of days. Yeah. Um, And then it's got like a goal setting section in the front that walks you through how to do it. Um, And the other thing that's really nice is like each page has like a daily win, which like when you get in the habit of writing a daily win, you start looking for daily wins. You, it's almost layering in the gratitude it's journal. It's like layering in the gra- gratitude journal without being All like, what three one. things? It's like, what's a daily win? And then mm-hmm. what's been interesting is I'll go away from things that would be like wins and I'll find like specific moments that like really made me feel good in the day or like were really positive and they might have nothing to do with the normal thing. So it's been it's been like a good structure of introspection. I'm a very extra person. <laughs> I think a lot about what's out there and I don't talk, like think a lot about myself. So... Mm-hmm. In the, in the sense of, like, how am I feeling? What did I experience? Yeah. And so it's been a good, like, thing to do. And then their end of week, they have, like, on Sunday, like, a weekly review where you plan what are the big things you need to get done that week. Mm-hmm. And then you layer them in your day and use what are the three, what are things that were great last week? What is something you'd want to change? Et cetera, et cetera. You're making me go all sorts of places right now with my my thoughts. Because as you're talking about not being very introspective, I've always considered myself a very introspective individual, but as you're talking about the reactions of, all, how am I documenting how you're feeling in that moment, all those things, I do a lot of introspection, but it's all big picture of like, what am I here to do? What are my long-term things? Who do Mm -hmm. I want to have impact on? And it's never in this moment, how am I feeling? I actually think that's very extra. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because it's focused on like, what am I doing outside of me? Mm. So it's like, where am I going? That's an outside place. What? Who am I impacting? That's an outside thing. What am I accomplishing? It's an outside thing. I think the in- inside things are like literally like body awareness, emotional state. What are my um, feelings? Some of the being present. The being present stuff. It. And I think the more of a like dreamer you are, the, the oftentimes harder it is to have the presence because you're not, almost always somewhere else. I'm not a present person generally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm focused on what's next. It's it's funny because the other thing I've been consuming is um, there's a book called Black Swan by yep. Nassim Taleb. And um, I mean, he's, he's so much smarter than me that I have to read it slowly. Like I'll like read a page and I'll be like, none of that. Didn't, no, nope, read it again. Like it, mm-hmm. it's almost, it's almost as hard as reading like, you know, like uh, an accounting textbook where you're like, wait, what was the terms I just read? Like, let me do that again. Mm-hmm. This is like the way he thinks is so much beyond the way I think. Um, but he talks a lot about the idea is um, you, you, you are terrible at prediction. You don't actually know a lot. And that's how your life is always going to be. You're never going to know a lot. Um, but he, he, a lot of his lessons are around highlighting that mm-hmm. and how to operate in a world where you don't know a lot. And, I'm only about halfway through the book, but the thing that is striking to me is like when I make most of my mistakes, be it like sales process mistakes, relational mistakes, like anything, cooking mistakes, 
tweak a muscle working out. It's almost always due to the fact that like I checked out of where I was and I started like focusing somewhere else. And then I like cut my thumb with a knife or said something stupid or my tone of voice was wrong or didn't warm up properly or rounded my back or like fill in the blank, sent an email too quickly that is an email. So there's no context and it sounds mean. Like You just let your mind go somewhere that's not right now. Right. You start telling the story of what you think is going to happen in the future or you go somewhere in the future that you don't actually know about and then just like, boom. Oh, man, I do that so much. Yeah, same. It's a thing I'm working on a lot this year. Interesting. I, of course, I got to add that book to the list of things that I should be consuming in the I future. I wouldn't start there. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to do some a lot might, less you, dense you things. You might actually start with Think Again by Adam Grant. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, same, I think, kind of premise. It's the same bucket of premise of like, be open to things that you may not know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so much, it, it's very different than Black Swan. It's, but it's, it's a starting place of like, let me bring you into like si- kind of scientific style writing without, without giving you like, here's a sledgehammer okay. and now hit yourself in the face with it. Noted. This I'll is like, I'm it. 180 pages in and I've been reading it for four weeks. Okay. Yeah. It's slow. That's slow. <laughs> I will say there's one other thing I have been yeah. consuming or a tool I've been using. This is not a, like a new thing for me. I've been using it for a long time. I was talking to Kate on our team about this, but Nerd Wallet is such an excellent resource. Is it? I really, really have found a lot of use out of that. They have great commercials. How are you using it? Uh, in credit card research. Okay. Because I... I'm happy with the mix that I have, but I'm looking to sort of take the next step of sophistication with what I'm doing from a credit card standpoint. I could talk about this literally for hours and hours, so I won't do that. But from that, for choosing banks, when I was moving around and switching options, making sure I could maximize savings to checkings to uh, companion accounts for brokerages, all these things. It's just a really great resource that's fairly objective. Yeah, They have partners that sponsor and you you know you have to make sure you're not clicking on an ad but it has been a really really good resource in terms of just the objective information about the benefits and features of things with a little bit of like their take it actually makes me happy to hear that because i do love their commercials a lot yeah and their tagline of turn to the nerds is great especially in the tone they say it and it's just funny i've never seen a commercial from them really yeah you don't watch live sports a lot do you i do not yeah there you go well there you go (laughs) uh so that's something i've been using um and it's I mean, I also just nerd out about all things personal finance, as you know, and so I just could read literally about debit cards for hours. Have you ever done a deep dive on the Fat Fire community and read it? No. It's just an entertaining experience. Yeah. Yeah, check it out. Okay, I'll do that. What's our topic today, Reed? Our main topic today is the idea of whether you should or should not follow your Mm. passion, which (laughs) is something that neither of us has a a strong opinion about at all. So. Um, you're Mr. Hot Take. I know you have some feelings. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me. I've got feelings about this because I did it the way that you're classically told to do it. I'm going to push back on that, but okay. continue. Um, so the, I feel like the message you get is, um, you need to know your passion and then you need to pursue it. And it's in that order. It's like, figure out what your life's calling is. By the way, figure it out when you're 19, 20 or 21 years old. Problems with that. And then dive into it and run at it forever and and don't change because it's the thing you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And much like we were just talking about the inability to predict, I think the, the ability to predict what you're going to be passionate about in 20 years, 10 years, whatever, is really difficult. And I think it's even more hard to know, 
okay, I might be passionate about a topic, but is that a thing that I want to make my career is a different conversation. I'll give you an example. Okay. I, when I was early in college, thought I wanted to be a restaurateur. I'm, I love food. I'm very passionate about good food. I like to cook. I like to be around it. I knew I didn't want to be a chef, but I like to be in that environment. But what I figured out was that that lifestyle is always working when everybody else is playing, and that was just not going to work for me. Okay. So I like knew from that sort of diving into that world just a little bit, that was not the right world for me. But I think there are worlds that are way less clear to people where they get, oh, yeah, that'll be great. I'll do it. And like my own experience where it's like, I'm going to own a gym because I'm passionate about fitness. Guess what? I am still, I might even be more into fitness than I was when I launched the gym, but I do not want it to be my career. So what you're really taking issue with is not follow your passion. It's that you should follow your passion as you start your career. Yeah. My idea, because that's an important distinction. I actually think my biggest distinction is the idea that you have a set passion to follow. I also don't believe in soulmates. Interesting. That's and a neither, whole other neither thing. Neither does Katie, by the way. We've talked about this. Like, the idea that there's one path, one right path for you in almost any area of your life, I just don't agree with. That you, like, there are multiple humans in the world who you could have, like, in theory, you could end up with. Right. And it's like finding one of those people. Could yeah. be There could be a hundred or zero. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And the same idea with your job. Like, Dude, I never would have thought I'm going to find this awesome job at a marketing company. That was never in my brain, mm-hmm. ever in my brain. And frankly, the role that I walked into is not the role that I sit in now. And I had a lot of responsibility in shaping what this role looks like. So here's a couple things I want to dig into, maybe push back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, please. So would you consider you starting the gym following your passion for fitness as a way to start your career? Yes, I think the message was that I received from society as a whole was find a thing you love and then make it your world. Because I feel like you have said in other contexts that the reason you started the gym was actually not because you loved fitness, but because you felt the more of the you should be an entrepreneur and because of like your Enneagram type, your personality type, that that's why you did it, not because my passion is fitness. Yeah, you should be an entrepreneur. So then I said, okay, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, what's the thing I'll be an entrepreneur in? Oh, it's also said you should be an entrepreneur in the thing that you love. Okay. So if I'm going to make this decision, then I'll make this decision. What do you think of the people that do follow this idea of pursuing your passions for your career and they fail a number of times when they're early on, but that ends up getting them to that point. Um, anecdotal evidence doesn't disprove a rule. Okay. Um, trying to think of a good example here. I think it, part of it depends on how quickly you want to accelerate that career. Because there might be people who tried a bunch of things in an effort to pursue their passion and they're not going to be in senior leadership in a company at 30 years old yeah. because of all those things. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong. I actually like that model. I like the test and learn model. What I don't like is is this. And this is a lot of my thinking on this was solidified by reading So Good They Can't Ignore You. Okay, He gave some really good examples. And so I'm going to use one of them to illustrate the difference because I'm not sure I know how to communicate it well without the example. What you've just indicated is great. This is somebody who's like, oh, I think I might have interest there. I'm going to try it. And they go and they try it and they're like, ah, it doesn't quite work. I'm going to try something different. 
And whether that shift is like a right turn 90 degrees to a different thing, or it's like a slight pivot to a different version of the thing they're already doing, it's still like, I tried a little bit, I moved. I tried a little bit, I moved. What I dislike is what I did, which is I'm going to open a gym because I love fitness and I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go head first at this zero to 100, throw all my eggs in that basket and hope I'm right. That I don't like. It, it's, it's like the person who's like, I'm, I, it, and in the book, they give an example of a woman who had a, a really great career and she got passionate about yoga and she got this middle-aged sort of crisis moment of I'm not following my passion. And so instead of continuing this career that I'm in, I'm going to uh, pivot to my passion of yoga. And he literally tells the story of her calling him while in food stamps line a year later. I don't like that message of you should just try whatever you love at the expense of like maybe give a little like maybe maybe instead of quitting your job in that moment, like see if you can coach a class at your studio first and then see if you can maybe coach some people privately out of your home and then like build steps to test if you are enjoying it, if you get fulfillment from that and if the marketplace is giving you a response of we will we will reward you for this. Is part of the th- issue in your eyes also the um, the messaging around that you need to stick with it because you pursued the gym, which mm-hmm. retrospectively was not, let's say, the right decision. The it right was like – I think actually, it was the right decision. It was just um, like I would not trade that experience. Mm-hmm. It was excellent. I met a lot of amazing people, and I built a lot of skills I wouldn't have at, at 29 if I had not done it. But were the motivations correct for a long-term career there? No. And do you think that you stuck with it too long? Um, it depends on the definition of stuck with it too long. Like, because it, here's, here's yeah, what I'm getting at. Yeah, is yeah. You're saying that, that on some level, you're like, the thing that I did was not what I would recommend people do. Quit yeah. my job, go with But then you also said... A few minutes later, I would not change that experience for the world. Yeah, there. Nearly everything that you experience, it's very hard for me to live with like a lot of regret for my decisions because mm-hmm. the downstream impact of not doing them gets to be, um, like mind altering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, okay, if I didn't do that, this wouldn't be the case, and this wouldn't be the case, and this wouldn't be the case. I think, um, there's a better way to go about doing what I did that causes less pain in your life and others. So it's really about, sure, it worked out for you. It worked out. But if you can pass along to somebody else that there's a better way to do this that will allow you to be even further ahead than I am at this stage, then great. Like, for example, instead of um, deciding I'm going to open a gym and and diving into that basically in the space of uh, three months, maybe what I should have done was said, all right, let's figure out what are the core elements of gym, gym ownership that you need to take on? And I should have sat down and asked some people, like, when you opened your gym, what are the things you had to do? And understood, like, the list of activities, responsibilities, what you're going to do. Understood deeper, what are the costs? What happens to the rest of your life? Because it's not just that the gym lives in isolation. It's that I also decided, like, I'm going to open the gym and I'm going to break a lease and I'm going to get engaged. And, and I kept sort of adding these things in, which in hindsight is like, why would you take on all of that 
all of those really big moments, like all at once that are, they draw down your resources. They give you timelines for things. They, they are all like big bets, right? Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, I should have sat down and like, all right, let's figure out what it means to be an owner of a gym. Maybe that involves uh, one night a week, I go and shadow the owner of the gym I was going to to understand what his world is like and her world is like. And I get to feel for, oh, like, okay, that's what this looks like. And then maybe I go, okay, well, a core element of this is coaching. How about I go, instead of spending a bunch of money to open the gym, I spend a thousand bucks, get my coaching cert, coach at my CrossFit gym that I already go to and do it, see if I like it. And if I get a lot of fulfillment from coaching, maybe that's, I mean, that's checked towards like, yeah, this could be a thing I do. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, woo, I'm not sure I really like that. It takes a lot away from me. It's very draining or it doesn't really give me a lot of fulfillment. It's like a, it's like a red flag. So red flag. <laughs> so what this feels like really is that you don't take issue with pursuing your passions. You don't even take issue with the advice to pursue your passions. You just don't think that it should be done without intentionality. Yeah. And I, I think it should, I think somebody telling you go, somebody telling you go pursue your passions because they succeeded it in it and it being wrapped up in this story of like, I dove into building an app and now I'm living in a mansion (laughs) is like, it takes all the truth out of it. And Mm -hmm. I just think the idea that you know, like the, the idea that you should know what you want to do for the rest of your life and you should just run at it nonstop is like a fairy tale land that is so rare. It's like winning the lottery. Interesting. Well, what I'd be curious about is, and we can't like do research and have a sample set for this, but of the people who did that and failed hard, like I've in a lot of cases they end up being better off for it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 on the surface, I feel like I agree with you. Can you give me an example of what's in your head? Uh, well, I think there's this idea that. The the problem is that people are told to know a passion early on, go all in. And the risk there is that people are going to crash and burn, right? They're going to find out, well, that wasn't actually their passion, whatever. But the thing is, I would say the vast majority of people will come to that realization, and then they will move on. Mm-hmm. They might go through some pain in that experience, but so what? Pain is part of the journey. So what's the downside of people doing that? When, sure, they will run into issues, the thing they thought they might want to do doesn't end up being the thing, but at the end of the day, they're fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, like, everybody, the, the thing that's great about this is we're talking about, like, career paths, mm-hmm. and, like, yeah, your career can go sideways, and, like, you're fine. Like, really, you're fine. You'll be fine. You might go through some pain. It might be financial. It might be relational. Like, you'll go through some sort of pain, but you'll come out the other side fine. What I, What I'm sort of saying, and... My argument for it is what makes great work is not finding something that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we get to the flip side of the equation, right? Uh We're talking about passion. The complete opposite end of that coin is money and stability. Sure. Right? Yep. Of going and finding a secure corporate job that has a lot of security and money, whether you like the thing or not, is the opposite end of the spectrum. Yep. So I feel like to really analyze the problem, you need to look at both sides of that. Yeah. Right? I think that's fair. Because it's it's a it's a sliding scale. Like you said, did you think that you would go in and do sales and marketing? No. no. <laughs> right? But then you found something that you really enjoyed to get behind. But a big piece of it, too, is the company, the culture, all those things that you found that align with you. Well, this is what's interesting, too. They mentioned this in, uh, Cal Newport mentions this in the book, 
where really so good they can't ignore you is not about being coming great. It is about understanding what makes good work, like what makes a fulfilling career. Mm-hmm. And they actually do research on this. He's done research on it. He's talked to the people who have research on it. And it has almost nothing to do with what you work in. Outside of there being an ethical or moral dilemma between what you do professionally and your own beliefs. So, for example, if I worked in politics, I would be – it would not be fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. I have extreme issue with both sides of the American political system. Therefore, regardless of which side I was employed by, I would have moral and ethical issues with what they're saying. If I worked for a tobacco company. Yeah. Same, yeah, yeah, exactly. Tons of people who have moral and ethical issues with all sorts of things. That aside, you take that out of the picture. What you actually work on has been shown to be very, very, very minimal as to your reward for said work, like your overall fulfillment. It's like autonomy, mastery are two of the biggest drivers. Do you have something that you can pursue getting great at? And do you have the ability to determine how you go about getting great at it? Mm -hmm. These are two of the main components for fulfilling work. And the challenge is, in, in my head is, is twofold. Um, those can exist in so many different places that the idea that you need to find one needle in the haystack is sort of wrong. And I also would argue that they don't exist at the start anywhere. Mm-hmm. Almost period hard stop. Interesting. Especially when you're like 22 or 23. And again, to riff on Cal Newport's perspective on this, which I think is so spot on, is he's like, look, you're asking for really valuable things, freedom, autonomy, and purpose, mastery. Those are valuable things. And then, of course, being rewarded with your time and efforts and output. So money. All of these things are highly valuable. And you walk into a role expecting it to give you all three of those things pretty quick. And the reality is that almost all of the time, your ability to return value has a waiting period. And it's longer the lower in your career or the lower skill you have. So even in like some of our highest paying professions, let's take, let's take football. It's almost, it's almost a Super Bowl. We'll take football. The third quarterback in a quarterback room is making a couple hundred thousand dollars. Now, to you and I, we're like, sounds pretty good. And it's true, pretty good. He's also in a, in a network. He's, he's one of the top 1% of people in the world at it. But in his room, he is far and away the worst in the room. You've got at least two people ahead of him, and both of those people are probably making $10 million to $50 million, somewhere in that range, right? And the person who's making the top, let's say $40 million bucks in the room, is one of the best five individuals on planet Earth at this thing. Well, this person coming out of school who isn't that person and has not proven value of the $40 million person should not look up and doesn't look up and say, hey, I want Aaron Rodgers' contract, right? Doesn't work. But we walk in to the workplace, the professional workplace, and we go, I just graduated school. I'm at peak confidence and cockiness level because I have my degree and I'm a college kid and I just came off being a senior. And I expect this company to both reward me in a really impactful way um, monetarily. Mm-hmm. And I want to have a ton of control over my schedule. I want to work remote. I want, I want tons of PTO, preferably unlimited. And I want to be able to determine how my day goes. AKA, I want to know, I want to, I want to have say in what I'm working on. I want to ask why I'm working on that thing. Homie, you don't have anything to offer that company. And the likelihood that you're valuable within 12 months is tiny. So sit down, learn, 
show up to work and start building something that's valuable so that you can trade it for autonomy, mastery, and reward. That's my soapbox on this thing. It's the, it's the, it's the, I deserve a great career tomorrow. Why? I want you to have a great career, but you don't just, you don't just get one. You don't just like wake up and be like, poof, my job's perfect. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. So it feels like that's actually sort of going into a different area, right? Does it? From pursuing passion a little yeah. bit. Because that's like entitlement on some level. I think people feel enti- entitled to passion. Interesting. Yeah. Man, I don't even know where to go with that you one. Gotta, you got to find it. You don't just, you have to make it. You have to make it passionate. Like we were talking off camera or off microphone about uh, my like, issue with cost plus pricing Mm -hmm. dude i would never have cared about this even two or three years ago and you are passionate oh i care a lot about it i think it's nonsense so i think part of it too is the idea of what can you be passionate about because i think sometimes the pursue your passion mentality means like your hobby it's like you know it, it because part of it is we have become passionate about business yep we each came in at different points on that spectrum but we are passionate about marketing sales business shit yeah right and there's this i think part of the pursue your passions is like you should be an artist yes it's you should go all in on something fun what do you like to do that is fun that's what you should make money on you're hitting it and that's the issue that's that's what i that's what i can't stand because dude you can be passionate about anything like genuinely you can like, you, you don't know because most things from the outside you might think are, like, boring. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's so boring. Oh, uh, who gets uh, – that's so boring. I have such a good time, like, working through challenging sales problems with people and, like, trying to help everybody decide, like, should we work together? And that fills you up. It fills me up. Whereas, like, if I came out of college and my passions at the time were running, photography, and – watches yeah and i was like i am going to make a career out of running photography or watches i would be a terrible full-time photographer <laughs> monetizing well, you might be, you might be great right now perhaps if you had done it for because six of years, seven years business context yeah <laughs> but i think but that's the thing right it's the same way i've become very passionate about everything branding and values and marketing and business strategy and all these things yeah i imagine you're like very interested in like how do i give people a great experience of learning about the company that i work on and then how do i learn a lot about what other people are doing to do that thing and employee experience i mean all these things yes super passionate about all that well yeah i'm like tell you tell your story because you waited after school to find a job you like knew what you were looking for mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm curious about that perspective of like first of all how'd you know what you were looking for and like how did you in your brain frame up what you were looking for so the the what i was looking for could be looked at in a few different ways uh i had the benefit of uh i i started college i did two years of finance and accounting i was gonna go into like international banking investments those types of things and realized I wanted something that had a little bit more of a creative outlet to it, and that I was on some level just following the path of my brother and my dad and so on and so forth. And so I went into marketing, and I had the benefit of having an experience in the agency environment and an experience in the corporate environment and a couple internships during college. And so those helped me see corporate environment is not for me. 
I was coming to the sort of self-realization that maybe I'm not the super formal stiff that I was making myself and that I actually like wanted to be in a dynamic environment and swear and shit, right? Um, so there was that. So I knew that I was going to be in an agency or small business environment. One of the tricks of the school that I went to was that there was not a lot of resources for people getting into that space. So it was harder for me to get a job. I did not mm -hmm. have a job coming out of college. And so when I was going through the job search process, I took a year off between graduating and taking my job here. And sure, like I was doing some internship work at the time and I worked at a coffee shop for a period of time. And I was told, well, you should probably just take a job. I got job offers. You should probably just take a job. But I refused to not land at a place that was that environment, agency. The other piece is I was... I needed a place, and I didn't even know it explicitly, but I knew inherently that I needed to be in a place that worked well for my personality. Now I can speak to like, well, yeah, that's core values alignment, my purpose aligning with company purpose, but I didn't know any of that shit at the time. Mm -hmm. But I felt it. So I, again, refused to take a job that did not have that. And I think there's a lot of messaging on the opposite side of the spectrum of follow your passion of get a job, do the safe thing. So... Yep. I, it was a sort of painful process of, of going through that and being the person that felt so behind for 18 months after graduating when all these people took jobs at PwC and at JP Morgan and Lilly and Roche and Boeing. And I'm sitting here working at Java House Cafe, like terrible, but I yeah. was committed and that landed me in the opportunity where I, where I am I don't know how that necessarily fits into the picture, but that was the experience. Well, no, you did a couple of things that you tested a couple of things like and you used college as a testing ground. First of all, you went the the path that was sort of put in front of you, like mm -hmm. modeled for you. Yeah, because when we're growing up, we're just we're just following models. Right. Like <clears throat> we mostly espouse our parents thoughts on things that we don't understand as we grow up. Or we completely rebel against them, like one of the two. Yep. So you were just modeling, and then you go to school, and you're like, all right, I'm going to start finance and accounting, modeling. And you're like, uh, it doesn't quite hit for me. And you had a reason. You're like, I need something more creative, so I'm going to go marketing instead. And then you were like, I'm going to test out two really different environments and internships. I'm going to go big corporate, and I'm going to go agency. And you were like, oh, didn't like the corporate thing. Not for me. Agency seems more my speed. And from that, you learned, like, I know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that's like – or. At this point, I'm looking for something that's like that because it was my better experience. And you're whittling down because, like, think just even that right there, you whittle down your subset of things you want to get into so much. Mm -hmm. And now, let's say that you, let's say you got into the agency and it was a terrible experience. And you're like, all right, well, I know it's not the agency. So, what is it that didn't match? Because I've had a good agency experience before. So, what, what, what lacked here that I need to solve for myself? And so you went and you looked and you're like, oh, you would have we would have solved for it, but instead you found one that you liked and it worked. But also, even inside of these four walls, like you've shifted your role a little bit. Like even though you were an AC, you like followed Danielle around, which really made you kind of a brand matter expert. Mm -hmm. And then you started showing a propensity for like the Element Three brand as a whole, and it was like, oh, like we should pivot you to work on our stuff instead of our. Like we should take you instead of letting our clients have you. Mm -hmm. um, and so like even that inside of it feels like really, you did everything with like a sense of learning. And you tried different things. It wasn't like your your point around like do the fun thing, do the do the thing you're that you're passionate about. I think people have the wrong passion doesn't equate to fun. And sometimes 
reserve space for a passion or a fun thing to be just that. Just the fun thing. Because here's the thing. I'm lucky enough that I have hobbies that I can pursue and I have a job at a company that I really enjoy. Yep. Right? Some people do work that is solely a revenue stream to follow their passions outside of work. Yep. I personally am under the stance that you spend way too much time at work for that to be the case. I agree with you. But sometimes, like for me with photography, I have done some paid photography and it helped me realize that I wanted that to just be a hobby and be something fun because as soon as I started doing it for money, it ruined it for me. Interesting. So then I'm in the spot where I'm going to continue doing work that's fulfilling, but I'm not going to start up a freelance photography business on the side because that ruined a hobby for me. Yeah. Extrapolate that out to a number of other things that I have tested and experimented with for side gigs. So sometimes like follow your passion, but maybe just have it be a passion and not your job. It can be, it's like not less, um, this is probably such an American problem. The thing not being a commercial enterprise does not make it less um, legitimate. Good. Good. <laughs> valuable. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it doesn't make it worse. And I think we we sometimes hear that it does, and we just should reject that fact. Like, mm-hmm. as a whole, it does not make it worse. Um, the other thing that I would say is, um, you said I'm lucky enough to have a job that I love and hobbies outside of it. I would say the other thing I have is that it is not the job's responsibility to make you love it. No. There is oh. equal responsibility. The job needs to provide an environment in which you can love it. Like, okay. If there's you, healthy and there's toxic cultures. Right. That's the thing. But man, the expectation that your employer is going to make you love your job is so wrong to me you need to take ownership over your career you do a a recipient's mindset will never you'll never be successful and you won't be fulfilled no because there can be experiences where like it's a objectively a good company that you're at a healthy culture and you could not be having a good time but on some level it's on you and work with your manager and whatever but figure out what that is it might just mean that there needs to be a shift in what you're doing and have a discussion take some ownership over your career path right. to make that happen right it's not just their job to make it better for you no. like that's the thing i think there's two things i want people to hear from from my perspective <laughs> because i probably sound like a curmudgeon who's like you don't need to do what's fun you don't know what you're going to find passionate pa- find passion in and you will likely you will likely be surprised by the number of things that you could be passionate about is one. Two, there is nothing that you have at 22 or 23 years old unless you are an individual athlete, musician, artist. Or a prodigy. Prodigy of some nature where you can just go offer a company those skills in, in return for your sorry, in return for their treasure. Like you're always trading talent for treasure. Yeah, if you're showing up to your first job out of college and you're saying, I want six fig and given we're talking midwest numbers yeah. but you're saying i want six figures and a limited pto and complete mastery complete, over my day yeah a complete autonomy over how i do my and day. i like, will not work more than 40 hours a week like come on man like just be realistic about what your value is not as a human but as a role yeah like not you're you're equally valuable to everybody else but your role isn't like you're the value you're putting back into the company is not equal to the ceo is not equal to the VP of sales, is not equal to your CMO. Like, it just isn't. The people that are, are around you that have that freedom and that reward, 
earned it. They earned it. And so just be ready for that. And yeah. by the way, you earning it will make it better. And then the last thing is take freaking ownership of the fact that it's not your employer's job to make your job great. It's their job to provide an environment where you can make your job great, but you have to, you must contribute to that process. I could not say it any better. <laughs> nice. Sign off. Love it.